Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Good morning. So uh, I get to journey with some of your young people uh, this year and uh, we're off to Nepal at the end of October, I believe, and we won't be taking um, spoonie machines. You might be uh, relieved to know. But isn't it interesting when uh, Adam was talking to me a bit about uh, looking at this idea of mission and what does mission mean and how often do we, I know that's a bit of a um, tongue-in-cheek and a bit silly, but how often do we take our own assumptions with us when we think about what we need to to give or what we need to bring um, when we go on mission um, for God? Uh, We were, when I was about 19, I had an opportunity like... Um, these these guys here to go and have a cross-cultural experience um, in Tijuana, in Mexico, with a bunch of Church of Christies from all over uh, the state, and uh, it, it radically uh, changed my life in so many ways, because for the first time as a young man, I got to go and stand in the middle of a rubbish dump and see how the people were living and making their existence there. And there is nothing that can sort of take away from that moment where you have that experience to actually go and experience something that is is so foreign to you. Um, and it, it completely revolutionised my journey. And I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this, but I want to follow you. And in the process of that trip, uh, we were working with an organisation called Amor Ministries, and they were house building. So we would work with a local church in Mexico uh, who were supporting a local family, and they were building about a a 1,000 homes a year at that point. Um, And uh, we got to be a part of working with a family to build a home with them. Uh, I got to go back in 97 because part of me went, God, I, you know, I sort of feel like I want to go and do my own thing, but you've done something so radical in that moment. I think I need to go back and just pinch myself for a minute and go, is this you, Jesus? What are you up to here? And um, so we go back uh, to an, on another mission and we work with some new families and we build homes together. And as part of that journey, we went to visit um, the two houses that we got to build the year before. And my Spanish, I didn't have much Spanish at that point. I, I knew El Baño, which was the toilet, and that was about it. And uh, Coca-Cola is a national language, so that's about all you need to know, right? And so we get, we go and visit the home that we, my group that I worked with, built. And then we walked over the hill to visit the other home. And here is the father on the roof, and he's nailing the roof and uh, so we had a friend with us who sort of sort of spoke Spanish not very well and she was sort of trying to get um, you know to say hey this group's come to say g'day you know to see how it's all going and um, just to to visit and see how your home you know what it's been like to experience having a home and he starts yelling at us in Spanish and uh, what we figured out was that his roof had blown off because we hadn't used the, lucky it wasn't my group, it was the other group, we hadn't used the right nails to build the, put the roof on. You know, sometimes we take our blenders to Africa 
Do you, know, do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we think in the going and the pursuit of doing something that we think is good, uh, it can get lost in translation sometimes. And I think it's a great place to start today as you guys go on a journey of what is it to be on mission with God, to maybe just stand back and go, God, I bring my own assumptions. Sometimes I have my own motivations going on here. Sometimes I'm working out of more of what I need than perhaps what uh, the need is that I'm working towards. We're going to turn to, um, are you guys okay, by the way? You're not, yep, yep, okay. Good, just checking. Um, Blake's going to put some scripture up for me. If you've got your scriptures, I'm in the NLT today, but it doesn't matter what you're reading. I'd love you to turn to Luke chapter 14. And I'll read this, uh, <clears throat> read this word today that God's bringing to us. And this word is couched between um, some very well-known stories that you know, and one is about the feast that the king sends out uh, his servant into the highways and byways um, to bring those who are on the margins, those uh, who are without, to bring them in. And the other end of the, the book end of this story is uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal story. But right in the middle of it is this text, and let's read it together. So from uh, so it's chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel and from verse 25. And it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple... You must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you've counted the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Then you would say, then, sorry, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to, to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavour... How do you make it salty again? Flavourless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus is a real party starter, isn't he? You know, he's got this great crowd, this throng of people, you know, travelling through Galilee, and, you know, they're, they're hanging out because the king is here to uh, sort of kick-start the kingdom. They've been waiting for a very long time. And, you know, what do we do when we've got a crowd of people around us? Well, generally we want to please them and we want them to think well of us and we probably want to stroke them a little bit and we want them to know that they're liked. And Jesus says, uh, look, if you want to come after me, by comparison, you need to hate everyone else. Now, 
you guys know the Ten Commandments, so you know that uh, part of the, the, the law of God is that we obey and love our, our parents, our, our mother and father. And yet in this sort of, uh, you know, in the, in the Hebrew culture at that moment, it is, it is not so much that Jesus is saying, and I especially want to say this to my young um, brothers and sisters here, because uh, I think when we hear Jesus talk, it's so hard to really filter through our 21st century uh, Western you know, world that Jesus says, by comparison, what he's saying is, you know, if you want to come after me, then you need to love me beyond anything else. That's what he's calling these people to do. I don't want you to go and not be nice to your mother um, or listen to your father. But what I'm saying is that, that this is, this, this is a, a greater call that you can't compare it with anything else. You know, at the end of that text, Jesus turns and starts talking about salt. And uh, in um, the, the metaphors of Scripture, salt is often thought of as wisdom. And when they would light a candle, uh, especially we wouldn't do it these days, it probably wouldn't work, but in the first century when you lit a candle, if you wanted it to burn brighter, then you uh, rub salt on the wick and the wick would actually light up more and you'd get a, a brighter burning candle. And so there is a sense that Jesus is saying that if you want to follow me, if your life is to be patterned after mine, and if it needs to have some substance, and if it's going to taste good, uh, then you need to allow me to sort of get into the wisdom of your life, that you would actually seek wisdom in this journey of following Jesus. And so the invitation today to us is one where I think we need to sit in this passage of Scripture, which isn't... For me, that it's not the party scripture. It's not the scripture that I turn to when I uh, sort of think I'm going to share with my friends about Jesus. It's actually uh, it's a challenging scripture. It actually makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. John O'Donohue says that you may have wisdom, that, that salt rubbed onto the wick of the candle, that you may have wisdom to enter generously into your own unease. And I would like to invite you into this uneasy journey with me this morning for the next uh, little while. So by comparison, I hear Jesus saying to us that uh, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me um, and you want something of substance, if you want something that has some weight, uh, it will go bland very quickly. It won't taste very good after a while if you're not all in. And Jesus, uh, through uh, St. John on Patmos, says to the church of Laodicea, you are neither hot or cold. You're sort of sitting on the fence. You're sort of half in. And I went, you know, that, that's a fairly challenging scripture because he says I'd rather, you know, spit you out of my mouth at that point. There is, and, and I'm asking myself, Jesus, you know, how often am I neither hot nor cold? How often do I become bland in my faith journey with you? Because I haven't necessarily taken up my cross and said, I'm all in. When we uh, look at that scripture, I don't know, uh, Blake, if you can just put that first slide up again of the, from verses 25. Uh, he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You know, I hear the words of Jesus there and I, I sense he's saying, Nathan, and, and to you, my friends, this morning, um, unless you're prepared to own this, 
unless you're prepared to actually walk the journey that I'm walking, then this, and this is the uneasy invitation. Jesus doesn't just call me um, to be a good guy, um, to do a few good things. He, he demands my whole life. Friends, this morning, the invitation is an uneasy one because he just doesn't want bits of you. He doesn't just want bits of me. He wants your whole life. When my wife and I were uh, young, early married, and I'd been on a couple of these trips to Mexico, and we really, you know, as a 20-something-year-old, the journey of the young man and the young woman sitting there going, God, we sort of, we want to be all in, but we're not really sure how. And we're sitting in her parents' uh, lounge room and we had the stacker CD player. Anyone have one of those babies, you know, where you could put five CDs in at a time? And uh, so we had this thing rolling around. This is before, um, you know, Spotify and iPhones. And uh, we're sitting there and we're just praying and there's some music in the background. And we're going, Jesus, um, we, we, we sort of, we want to be all in. We want to go, but... We're not sure. Are you calling us to go? Are we, you know, and we were sensing at that time, um, do we actually move to Mexico and do we live and work with this organisation that we've sort of fallen in love with, even with all its brokenness? And uh, the stacker changes and a guy called Keith Green comes on the CD player and he says, go. <laughs> he, he, he preaches the message in that lounge room that day and he says, Nathan, Olivia, don't wait to be called. He's already called you. You need to go. And we went, we sort of looked at each other and went, right, okay, well, that's, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm pretty sure Keith Green's in the band in the kingdom of God and he's called us to go and he's reminded us of God's word. So we booked our tickets and we gave everything that we had, we gave it away. And can I encourage, especially, again, my young brothers and sisters, um, there is something Ash Barker said, at least once in your life, try and give everything away. It is probably the, one of the most liberating and scariest experiences of your life. Now, we live, you know, what do I have that some people, some of our brothers and sisters in the world don't have? I have an education. I have family. I have um, not just one, but I have three working backgrounds. I have a un university degree. I have a, a, a TAFE, uh, you know, um, statement saying that I'm qualified to be a carpenter. I have all these things in my life. Um, I can give everything away today and tomorrow. I can pretty easily start again. But Jesus doesn't just call me to give away my stuff because that's actually the easy part. He says, if you want to follow me, then you need to give up everything. What is the everything that might be holding us back? But, you know, as a young person, it was easy to go. Much harder when we come back to Australia uh, a couple of years later and Jesus is inviting us to stay. What does it mean when he calls us not just to go but to stay? We were driving up a little street in Layla Park, which is where I've lived uh, with my family for the last 15 years. And we had no money. We just, you know, literally off the mission field. And uh, we sensed Jesus was calling us to move into this little community, uh, fairly disenfranchised community in, in not, so, not as west as you guys, but the western suburbs of Sydney, um, and to move into a, a, 
uh, primarily into a Housing Commission street, into an um, ex-Housing Commission home, and we're driving up the street for the first time. And um, the uh, as I'm driving up the street, this I was probably about in my mid-20s, um, there are four guys, it's 10am in the morning, there are four guys sitting on their front steps in the street drinking long necks. And Jesus said, you need to be here. You know, one of those guys sitting on those steps that day, uh, he had three kids, he had twins and a, and a twin daughters and a son, beautiful kids, beautiful family. Uh, he was a chronic alcoholic. And one night uh, while he was at the pub, his wife packed up the kids, packed up their stuff and they left. And uh, I remember as a young man at that point, how, how do I love Andy, the dad? How do I meet him where he's at? How do I be Jesus in this moment? And uh, he uh, fairly quickly contracted an autoimmune disease and he ended up in hospital. And I went to visit him one day and, again, a young I was just a young guy, I sort of, you know, I'd seen a few things and knew a few things, but there was a part of me sitting with Andy at that point in the journey from life to death, and I asked myself, what do I have to offer this man? What do I have to offer this guy? The first uh, invitation I want to sort of share with you this morning, and Blake will put up, is that if we are not offering our very selves, if we are not, let me say it like this, if we are not offering our life, then what are we offering? Is there any substance to what I'm offering? Is there anything awake as I sit with this man who is facing death, who has no idea who God is? What am I offering a guy like Andy? In the, in the darkest hours of his life. Richard Raw says that Jesus comes disguised as your life. You ever thought about that? Jesus comes disguised as your life, as your life. And sometimes the challenge is that we, in, in our desire to get people into heaven, we forget that God actually wants to get heaven into us, as Dallas Willard once said. You know, that day in that hospital, my job wasn't to get Andy into heaven. And you may theologically have some issues with that. But the challenge was, was there enough heaven in me that it actually impacted on Andy as I sat there and held him and journeyed with him and broke bread with him that day? Uh, About... Ten and a bit years ago, uh, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll cut to the chase. We opened in our little community that we'd lived in for a few years and we'd, you know, shared uh, sort of our lives with a small group of people and we uh, ran drop-in sort of spaces in our homes and we created spaces for people who were living, sleeping rough to come and live with us and we're sort of trying to just live out this gospel thing, right? And uh, I had this vision and this opportunity to plant a community space and we ended up opening a place called Common Grounds Community Cafe in the middle of um, our little community of about 7,500 people. And 10 years later, this little uh, place of salt and light is still operating and still going, which is quite, quite amazing actually. And um, 
we were just there trying to go, God, how do we love our community? How do we love on our community? How can we just be here? How could we just be a place where Christ is at the centre, where Christ is um, welcomed in anyone who's disguised uh, in the life of Jesus who walks in the door? How could we be a place of hospitality and a place where we would serve? How could we we be a place where transformation uh, is actually um, real? And how do we live that? How is heaven actually living in us? And a guy walked in the door one day. I didn't know his story. I'd never met him before. Unbeknownst to me, he'd done two or three tours in Iraq. Uh, he t- tried to take his own life. Uh, he'd become um, completely out of control and alcohol became his saviour. Familiar story. Guy about my age. And uh, he was doing the journey with um, AA and there was this higher power that was sort of becoming more present in his life and he called that higher power God, but that's about as much as he knew. And he drove their meetings where they had the AA meeting. We were just across the road in our little cafe and uh, he drove into the car park one day and he just sat there and he was, he was, he was in a pretty dark place. And he looked over and he saw this thing, Common Grounds Community Cafe, and something in him went, I think I need to go into that place. And so he walks in and he opens the door and I'm standing behind the coffee machine and our eyes met and I put my hand out and I shook his hand and his testimony says that when he shook my hand, something happened in his heart. It's like when we can't help but allow Jesus to leak out of us because there is so much heaven in us. I had no idea, right? I'm just fumbling my way through life and trying to follow Jesus as best I can in my own brokenness and my own humanity. But in that moment, because of something of who God is and his graciousness to that man who was going, I'm desperate and I don't know what I need, Christ met that man that day when he shook my hand. What a beautiful, what a beautiful encounter. And isn't it that, you know what? I was completely unaware that Jesus was disguised as my life in that moment. I want to tell you another story. Um, we were hosting, we did some alpha sort of things. You know how we're always trying to find a way, you know, how do we get a bit of heaven into these people? And uh, I actually have had some great experiences of alpha, but generally that's my motive if I can just name it. You know, how can I get a bit of heaven into these people? What do they need to hear? How do we how do we sort of do this? And we had this funny little group of people that had come together to do the Alpha journey and we'd have a meal together and, you know, watch a video and have some discussions. And one particular night, I think it was very early on in one of them that we ran, a gentleman came along. I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about his story. And I think at the end of the night, we, I said, let's just gather in a circle and we're just going to lay hands sort of on each other and I'm just going to pray. And I did that, um, and I didn't feel anything. There were no goosebumps or, you know, nothing sort of especially, you know, magnificent stood out in that moment. But unbeknownst to me, that man had been carrying some sort of infirmity or disease, and he was healed in that moment, in that prayer. And I had no idea. I'd love to, I'd love to tell you... <laughs> that it was me and it wasn't but something about when heaven gets inside of us and the Holy Spirit is at work 
in our lives that, you know, it's like God can't help himself and, and we leak. If we're not offering ourselves our lives, then what are we offering? Um, you know that beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 where it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay or in earthen vessels. We are singing about the vessel before to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. You know, both my, my, my friend who met Jesus that day when he came to that cafe, that gentleman who uh, was healed that night, he never came back to Alpha. Can I just tell you that? He, he was scared out of, his, <laughs> out of his wits. He never came back. But it's not that the vessel, it's not that this vessel knew what it was doing. It's not that this vessel, it wasn't about what I said. It wasn't about anything that I did. I was even completely unaware in so many ways. But there's a treasure in this vessel. And Paul says it's not so we can sort of make ourselves look good because he said to the, Corinth, the church at Corinth, I came in weakness. You've got all these super apostles that are coming and they look good and they've got you know, the right genes and the right haircuts. I come to you and I'm actually broken. And friends, we offer our community not something that's shiny, that looks good, but doesn't have a lot of substance underneath it. It doesn't have a lot of weight but we offer our very lives, Paul said. We offer something of ourselves. And if we are just the vessel, then what is Jesus up to? What is Jesus up to when you shake hands with a stranger? What is Jesus up to when you're just going about your everyday life and you're thinking, how do I get heaven into this person? And Jesus going, what about if heaven was in you? What are you leaking? Uh, the journey, I want to just share this, the journey of the young man, you know, um, I'm 42, I've got three children and I didn't have any grey hair till I met some of your young people this year and wow, it's only been like seven months I think but it's uh, it's been a great time, we've had an amazing time together and, and a challenging time, um, you know, to hear Matt stand up here and say vulnerability and forgiveness and I know what's under that for him, what a powerful story of transformation in that man's heart. What, what, who wouldn't want to get behind that? Um, but, you know, the journey of the young man for me wasn't that I had something to offer, but that I had a debt that I needed to pay. And, you know, Jesus seemed to be the debt collector and I could never do enough to pay off my debt for him. And that's, I didn't know that, but unawarely I was living out of this false belief that I wasn't really a son, I was more like a hired hand and if I could only get a job in the servant's house, then maybe I could go back and live, you know, near the father. And so what happens is when we live out of this place where we just, and, you know, again, I'm, we're thinking about mission, right? What does it mean to be on mission? You know, when we live out of this, and I know Blake shared recently about some false images of God, when we live out of the false images, often things go a little pear-shaped. And so for me, it was like, if I can just work harder, if I can just please God, if, but, but my whole posture was I'm a hired hand. I'm not really the beloved. And, you know, 
13, 14 years in, probably, yeah, about 12 years in, sorry, to our, our ministry and our mission in our little community in Layla Park, I completely hit the wall because I wasn't living out of my limits. I wasn't living out of Sabbath delight. I wasn't living out a belovedness that God loved me no matter what. I was living out of this need to pay off the debt because Jesus has done so much, so now I've got to do so much. My wife and I went out for dinner um, probably a, a year after that. We, we took some leave and um, I sort of found Jesus again and probably realised that there was something, there was a whole bunch of stuff that needed to unravel in my journey. And uh, we, we went on a journey of healing and we came back into ministry with a very different perspective and working from a de- very different place. What about if we could work out of our rest? What about if we could actually stop trying to do stuff for Jesus because he's already at work? What about if we could just trust him? What about if I could remember that all I did that day was held my hand out and shook that man's hand and he, Jesus met him? What about if I could remember that when we were in that prayer circle that day, that guy got healed and I had no idea? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not that I need to fix this. It's not that I need to have it all together. What is Jesus up to? How is he leaking out of us? And my wife, we went out for dinner and we've got three kids. That doesn't happen very often. And we went to this beautiful little Indian restaurant in Shell Harbour, well down the south coast with my in-laws. And my wife said to me, Nathan, I nearly left. Not because we weren't up to our eyeballs in, you know, brokenness and challenge and ministry, but because it was so stressful. It was so... You know, there was no boundaries. You were never home. And we sat in that little restaurant that night and we were counting the cost. But I don't think, friends, especially my young friends here, I don't think that was the cost that Jesus meant when he said, if you want to be my disciple, follow me. I don't think he was telling me to sacrifice my wife or my family. So we're going to turn back to the scriptures because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, before you do, count the cost, but maybe have a slightly different framework to the one I was working out of. So we come back into the scripture and um, let's look at Luke 14, 28 for a moment. Jesus says, and he uses the, this, the metaphors or the analogies of building and war, okay? So what are we building and, and how, are we, um, how are we operating in battles? But don't begin until you count the costs. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone would laugh at you and it, and it goes on. You know, um, I, I want to sort of paint it like this. Imagine we've, we've poured the slab, right? Any builders in the room here? Any ex-builders? No? So I was in construction for quite a few years and, you know, you, we, we pour the slab and Paul says in First uh, Corinthians that the, the slab, the, that the foundation is Christ. You can't build on any other foundation, that's it. If you've built your life on thinking you're a hired hand and you owe a debt, then that's not 
Jesus, right? That's not the foundation that you're building your life on. So we've all, we've all poured the slab, right? We've poured the slab on the new property that you're moving to. We've poured the slab in our lives. Jesus is our foundation. So what are we building? You know, uh, spec homes, has anyone ever been to a spec home before where you walk in and, you know, it all looks really good and the garden looks nice and, uh, you know, you walk in and there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in it. It's just, it's just there for show. And how often do our lives sometimes look like that? Because Jesus is wanting some substance. If we're not offering ourselves, then what are we offering? What are we building on this slab, and can I just say a few things? And you know this, I don't probably need to even say this, but what about if it's not so much about the shiny and the glossy, that what just what looks good and what feels good in the moment? What about if God's actually more interested in Christ likeness in you? What about if He wants to build the slow journey of character? What about if your journey it needs to be one of integrity? What about if you've got a few rough edges and God just wants to gently? Do some work on that because he's actually much more interested in you because heaven is in you. Do you hear this? It's a different frame. I'm trying to get heaven into everyone else. What about if heaven was in me? What would that be then every time I meet someone, every time I engage with someone, every time I eyeball someone? What, are, what am I giving off? What is the aroma or the odour? Sometimes it's an odour, believe me. But we've got the slab. What, what are we building? What do our lives look like? You know, um, um, I'm trying to remember his name. It'll come back to me. Thomas. Thomas someone. Sorry, I've just gone blank. Um, I think it's, yeah, it doesn't matter. Sorry. Uh, it'll come back to me at the end when we're finished. Um, but uh, uh, Thomas Keating, sorry. Uh, Thomas Keating said that we cannot give what we don't possess. Um, you know, in my journey of ministry for years and years and years, I was giving and giving and giving and giving and giving because that's what Jesus wants me to do, right? If I can just work a bit harder and, you know, work a bit longer and just keep saying yes. And I was giving out of something that I didn't possess. I wasn't giving out of rest. I wasn't giving out of grace. I wasn't giving out of my limits. I wasn't giving out of uh, a, a complete respect for my family. I was just giving out of this, this emptiness almost, but not a godly emptiness. I need to do more. I need to work harder. I cannot give what I don't possess. Uh, Luke 14, 31 to 32. So he moves from building to going to war. Slightly odd maybe for us, but let's listen to this. What king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And obviously if they, they do the maths and if they don't feel like they can, you know, win this fight, then they, they send out the uh, mystery to try and sort of make terms of peace. Um, I was thinking about this in terms of, okay, Jesus, so you've, you've got the slab. What am I building? What is my life reflecting? Um, and 
sorry, Blake, I've just gone to sleep on, I'll throw that second point up. My, my point in that was, um, you have to forgive me because I always forget to read my notes. Uh, my point was that if we are offering ourselves, this is in connection to what are we building, and there's not much to offer, then what are we offering? I'll say that again. If we are offering ourselves and there's not much to offer, if there's not much substance, if Jesus isn't leaking out of this broken clay vessel, then what are we offering? What are we building? What's God up to? Uh, we come to this uh, metaphor and war, and I think about it like this. I think if the enemy is coming for me, and there's a whole bunch of them, there's potentially 10,000 more of them than, than, than me, then do I have what it takes to stand against my enemy? Has anyone seen the film? It's a fairly, uh, uh, it's not for the faint-hearted, but has anyone seen the film Fury? Brad Pitt is in it. Yeah. Um, I don't recommend it if you don't have, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fairly, uh, it's a war film and it's, it, it is uh, a full frontal attack. But there is this amazing moment at the end of the film where there's these, I think, five or six men and they have to hold off a whole you know, battalion of soldiers and they're in a tank and there's a guy who they call Bible and Bible says, uh, he, he quotes Isaiah to them, he says, here I am, send me. These six men who go, we are prepared to lay down our lives. We're prepared to give everything. Here I am, send me. When, when the enemy's coming for us, the question I have is, do we have what it takes? Do we have what it takes to stand against the enemy? And you know what the enemy loves to do is, the lie is that you're actually not with, but you're actually alone. The, the, the lie that the enemy brings when we think about how do we stand in, you know, in battle is that you're isolated that you, you've been pulled apart and you're here on your own. And it's actually, you've got to do this yourself. The writer, uh, Paul in Ephesians, um, and it's Ephesians 6, and you know this scripture, but he says these words in uh, verse 13, and it's post, you know, we're not fighting against, uh, you know, uh, flesh and blood, but uh, evil rulers and authorities. And he goes on and he says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armour so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. And he goes on and tells us about the belt of truth and about righteousness and about you know salvation and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's part of the challenge, isn't it, that when we are in war, when we're engaged in a world where the enemy is just, desiring to take us out. What am I building in my life and, and how am I standing? What am I wearing? What, 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 is, what is God up to in me so that when the enemy comes, I, like Elisha, can say to the servant, um, God, would you just open his eyes because we're not standing here on our own. There is a whole army um, of chariots behind us as, as the enemy comes for us. And friends, that brings me to my third point. Thanks, Blake. That says if we are if we offer ourselves, if we offer our lives, then offer it in service with others. Those words in and with. If we offer ourselves, then offer it in service with others. 
In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72 and he doesn't send them out on their own. He sends them out in pairs. I was uh, recently, my, I've got a 10-year-old, he plays soccer and we had one of those nights where they think it's a great idea to get all the kids and the parents in one of those play centres uh, with, you know, chicken nuggets and bad coffee and about 5,000 kids and it was just the worst night of my life, right? And I'm sitting there going, okay, Jesus, get me out of here. What, what do I need to do? <laughs> and uh, the coach sits opposite me. And then there's another gentleman. So there's three of us, and I'm like, okay, I'm stuck. I'm stuck with these two guys for the night. I've got two and a half hours here. Well, my son just has the best time of his life, right? And I start chatting to the coach, and in about three minutes, figure out that he's a Christian. And then we start having engaged in this conversation. Bless you, Alex. And... So we're, we're in this conversation and now suddenly it's gone from one to two. Suddenly I'm not isolated anymore, but now I'm in communion. And so now we turn to the third person and, we, and, and I go, so um, have you ever considered Christ? What a weird thing to say. <laughs> I don't even know this guy. Uh, but suddenly there's, there's two and I'm feeling slightly, I'm feeling safe. I'm feeling like someone's got my back here. And he might be a Christian for all I know. And he says, oh, actually, I grew up, I uh, um, was born in India. I grew up as a Hindu. We spent the next two hours having one of the most fascinating conversations. And we didn't get heaven into this guy. Can I just frame that? I, you know, a couple of times I think I tried. Can I, can I just be honest? A couple of times that I just, what a bit, you know, I tried to ask the question or I, tried to do the apologetics on a couple of things, but what I realised, and I saw it better in my friend than I could see it in myself, my friend, the other, the, the other believer, we just asked questions, we, we just sort of tried to get him to talk about what was it that was preventing him for saying yes to Jesus. And I walked away from that night and, and you know, Heaven hadn't, you know, necessarily erupted and this guy didn't come to, to faith. But there was something in the togetherness that this guy and I were actually able to sit with this man, not, not in, a, in a, you know, adversarial way, but in a way of gentleness, hopefully, where our broken vessels could leak out something of the, the love of Jesus. Don't go into battle alone. If you're building something, if you're offering your life, what... Well, what is it that you have to offer? If you're engaged in battle, who are you engaged with? Who's got your back? Do you have what it takes? I'll wrap up, guys, in a minute. I just want to read these words from 1 Corinthians. Um, it's in chapter 4, verse 12. Um, and so Paul's just been talking about this slab, right, that Jesus is the slab, that he's the, he's the foundation and he goes on and he says, uh, so it's 1 Corinthians 3, sorry, not 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 um, and it's verses 12. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw, but on the judgment day fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. My question is, what are you building and preparing for battle and does it have substance? 
Not that you don't have value, you have infinite value. But what in your life has substance and weight so that when you shake hands with your neighbour, when you meet someone in the shopping centre, when you sit with a neighbour who's going through a challenging season, when you're hanging out with a young person on a Friday night, what are they catching? Is it just is it just words? Is it just shiny, shiny, squeaky clean stuff? Or is there something in the depth of who we are, of what God is building, that what he's up to that has value, that when, when the fire comes and it's purified, there's gold there? Because we have gold, friends. There is something that isn't actually about what we have and what we can do in our earthly vessel, but it's, what did Paul say? It's, it, it is so that the power of God um, can, can leak out of us. And I can't, I can't make that work, you know, I can't make God do that. I, I think part of it is just I have to go, God, what about if I surrendered my life to you? What about if I gave you everything and I let you be the power source of my life and I stop trying to do it myself? So I want to repeat that invitation that I shared at the beginning of the message from John O'Donoghue, you, uh, that you may have wisdom to enter generously into your own unease today. This is not an easy text of scripture, is it? Because Jesus is saying, you don't have to do this journey. He's got a crowd of people following him. It'd be so easy at that point to tell them what he thinks they want to hear. And he turns around and he says, you don't have to follow me. I'm I'm not telling you you should. I'm actually going if you want to. It's very hard. This is actually a difficult journey. And if you want to follow me, then here's some things to consider. Have you counted the cost? If we're not offering ourselves, what are we offering? If we're offering ourselves and there's not much to offer, then what are we offering? If we offer ourselves, then how do we offer it in service to one another? How do we do this journey with each other? I finished with this last scripture and it's from the Sermon on the Mount and it's in the words of Eugene Peterson as Jesus comes to the end of that text and it sounds a bit random, doesn't it, because he just starts talking about salt, but Jesus is always talking about salt. Everything about us is about salt and light. And, and in Peterson's words, he says, Jesus calls us to himself, not to a program, not, not even to a, you know, Potentially, he does call us into church community, but not necessarily to a church. He calls us to himself, to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of the earth. And these are the words that he reframes again for us in Luke 14, and Peterson reminds us of now, if you lose, if I lose my saltiness, if suddenly I don't taste so good. Friends, can I tell you, my wife would say I don't taste so good a few times a day, Right? Don't worry, you're not tasting so good now, Nathan. You're probably working out of your own, you know, vessel here and you're not just allowing God to be the treasure. If you lose your saltiness, how can people taste godliness? It's, it's you. 
Jesus is coming for you. You're his workmanship, the scriptures say. You're his temple. Not this. This. What is Jesus leading now? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org